The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International and Music for All. Know the experience level of your marching percussion section. That's really important. And know the number of staff that your band is going to have as, as a drill writer. That can greatly impact the amount of detail that you give them or that you recommend to them. That's Edward Michael Francis, a successful drill writer who shares three things he wishes he had known when he started writing. There's advice here for anyone who puts a show together of any kind. Thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, EMF Drill, found at emfdrill.com. A drill writer shares three things they wish they had known when they first started writing drill on the Marching Roundtable. Ready to elevate your marching band's performance to the next level? Look no further than EMF Drill at emfdrill.com, your go-to destination for extraordinary visual designs. Whether you require full show coordination, custom visual design, or a consultation, EMF Drill is dedicated to creating unforgettable experiences for your students and audience alike. Harnessing the power of cutting-edge software like Pyware 11 and Ultimate Drillbook, they tailor make show designs that bring out the best in your young performers and captivate audiences. With over 30 states under their belt and 23 years experience, EMF Drill has become synonymous with excellence, consistently delivering award-winning shows that set a gold standard in the industry. They work closely with your staff, understanding your goals and vision for your students. Then they transform that vision into a meticulously crafted design that comes alive on the field, floor, or stage. Choose EMF Drill and let your marching band shine like never before. Visit emfdrill.com today for more information. Hey everybody, it's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts, and we're doing, I love this series we're doing, everybody, the three things I wish I had known when I first started my career. And today we're doing a drill writer's perspective. Edward Michael Francis is here with us. Edward, how are you? I'm fantastic, Tim. How are you doing? I'm good. So thank you for doing this. I think this is a really interesting perspective. I'm a drill writer. Of course, we all know lots of drill writers. And there are things that drill writers wish they knew when they started. And this could probably be like a four-hour conversation, but don't worry, everybody. We're just – I made him call it down to three things. Before we start, though, uh, Edward, I think a lot of people know who you are, but why don't you sort of introduce yourself briefly, sort of a little bit about what you do and where you are and stuff? Yeah, uh, well, I uh, my name is Edward Michael Francis. Uh, I've been designing for, my gosh, 23 years now. I can't believe I'm getting up into the <laughs> almost two or over two decades now. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I've uh, done work for several large design companies, uh, including Marching Show Concepts, as and um, currently working with uh, Marching 365. Uh, over out of Texas, and uh, having a, having a, a lot of fun with uh, with those guys over there. Very good. And um, yeah, and I've uh, been been working. Uh, I have, currently have credits in thirty two states. I want to say, so that's fun. All right, that's awesome. Well, thanks for all the good work you've done for bands for all these years. It's it's fun to get to talk to you about this. So everybody, this is three things he wishes he had known when he first started drill writing. Edward, where would you like to start? I think we could start uh, with, uh, I've divided this into three different categories, basically, because I have just some different pieces of advice 
for folks, uh, not necessarily just drill writers, uh, pretty much anyone looking to put together any type of show package. Great. Because we all have to do that ourselves most of the time. Yeah, I love that. So three things you wish you'd know when you started designing shows, no matter what part of it you're doing. I love that. So what's your first one? Yeah. Well, pr for programming, my first one is um, sticking to the minimum time that you're given. Um, I love that. <laughs> it's not necessary. It's not necessary to go beyond that. In my experience, especially if you're if you're trying to be really competitive, the most competitive groups in my experience use the minimum time. Uh, in fact, I find that they try to program maybe five to ten seconds under the minimum time, because when you program in pauses, it usually ends up being your time. Man, that so is that, that is fantastic advice. And I can't, Edward, I cannot tell you how many times I've tried to convince clients to do less. In fact, this is one of the things I do believe is do less. Everybody, play less notes, march less sets, yes. do the do the because really, I, I also think as a designer, if I know okay, I'm limited to six and a half instead of eight, then I have to make really good choices. The ideas seem to be a little tighter, more things happen a little faster. I think this helps shows. Oh, absolutely. It does. Um, another thing that I always try to do is try to create a roadmap and, and or a spreadsheet of all of your effects, especially as especially be, as the drill writer, you want to do that. Um, but, you know, if you have a team of you know other color guard staff, then they may, may want to be in on it as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You want to storyboard it out is the way I always use it. I like that idea, the spreadsheet, the storyboard, however you want to picture that all out so everybody can see what's happening when and where they fall into it. And you're right, you should include everybody so that everybody um, feels that they have a voice and can weigh in early in the process, not later. And that brings me to my next point is uh, figure out who's making all of the effect and or color guard decisions. And it should be only one to two people maximum. But so, if someone has to make, it should be decided amongst the staff who's doing that, whether it's the guard person, whether it's the drill writer, whoever's planning that. Um, and they need to know, you know, what personnel the color guard is working with. If you've got, you know, six rifles, can't be writing for seven. Um, and, it, and I can't believe how many times I've run into situations where all of a sudden I get to a, a point where I've been told that they want rifles, but I don't know how many. I don't know who it's, who's good, who it's supposed to be in the drill. Wow. And then, I, and then I have to sit and wait for that information. Right. Cause you can't even, you can't even start really. I mean, I, I won't even start writing a drill if I don't have the basic information about the garden, who's doing what, when, because you have to plan so far in advance when you're writing that stuff. Yeah. Stuff I wish I'd known. Yeah. All right. This <laughs> is all good. This is all good stuff. Yeah. All right. So that's sort of the programming part of it. Yeah. And, um, Two other minor things, and this will go into more logistical stuff, but um, know your ex the experience level of your marching percussion section. Uh, that's really important. And know the number of staff that your band is going to have as, as a drill writer. That's, that's, that can greatly impact the amount of detail that you give them or that you recommend to them. Okay. I like both of those very much because I think uh, the drum line is so critical to like the pulse and keeping the show running. And if you overdo it for younger players, man, are you setting everybody up for all kinds of problems in all kinds of areas? So that, I like that a lot. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of times when, when I've been, if I've been told that the 
drumline is really novice, then you know it's not it's not out it's okay to keep them in a block. <laughs> yeah. It's all right to do that sometimes. Oh yeah, it's much more important that they be successful musically and that they keep the show together musically than that they do anything wild or innovative because nobody cares if they're marching cool indoor drumline drill stuff if the show is a wreck. You know what I mean? So like I that's really smart advice. I say that's true for all yeah. of them too. That's true for for wins to a lesser degree. Um, and listen, Edward, I've written a whole show where the band and the drumline stood around a whole lot and the, had this really great guard, and they just carried the show. So you know, you're always sort of highlighting what you've got anyway. Yeah. Well, that takes us. So that was the programming uh, information that I that I wanted to that I had here. Good. Um, and I have some logistical kind of nuts and bolts drilling for, you know, drill writing information for folks. This is more for, I guess, more for drill writers. But um, one of the biggest things I see happening uh, with uh, with wind, winds, especially, is like brass. You want to try to keep your brass in the same groups as much as possible, especially like high brass versus low brass. Um, but more, moreover, like keeping tubas together because it looks better. Um, like, you know, keeping them in a group, not, not putting, you know, interspersing them just because they're such a large piece of visual weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you mean like keeping instruments yeah. together in the drill, like try to keep the trumpets near each other? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. So, sonically that will, especially with trumpets, I find, um, it really helps to keep them close to, close to each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, and especially depending on how, how young they are, because if they're young performers, they need that encouragement of others playing their part around them. You know, that can make a big difference as well. Yeah, it's, you know, you can write really cool kaleidoscopic drill, but if you pull your, your sections apart, you gotta you got to find a way to pull them back together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I agree with that. That's really good. And I always try to do those big, fancy kaleidoscopic drill moments, as you called it. Um, you know, usually that happens sort of at the end of a movement and then you can do your fancy modern day exactly. scatter and get them back together. We used to do scatter drills exactly. more out of necessity. Now it's, it's being been turned into a design element, which is very helpful to all of us. Drivers. <laughs> oh, I remember those. <laughs> I remember those crazy scatter drills from the nineties. Those were, those were always interesting. Yeah. Well, I hate to say date myself, but we were doing those in the seventies too. Edward. So anyway, <laughs> those have been around a long time, sometimes for fun, sometimes out of necessity. Nowadays, it's just seen as a design element. Oh, we'll artistically dissolve. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. We were doing this 40 years ago, but that's fine. <laughs> now we're, now we're doing it artistically. But anyway, I shouldn't be dating myself this much. Good. Anything else logistically you wanted to share? Oh yeah, tons. Um, I I have um, you know smaller groups need to need to cover less field area. Obviously, that sounds like a really basic thing to say, but uh, the number of fifteen member horn lines I see stretched from thirty five to thirty five would boggle your mind, and uh, that's just not the best. I mean, if you have a situation where your where your performers can do that, then I, I I've seen that I've seen that happen. But uh, just be cautious with that type of situation because that's uh, that's putting them in a precarious situation. And um, another thing I find is using logical motion for the dynamics. Like, for example, not backing away when we're trying to build into a crescendo. 
is uh, is something that's not possible all the time, obviously, but uh, but I try to create that as much as possible with my with my effects. So are you saying uh, you're before, doing that because you think for, it's more? Are you saying you're doing that because it's more effective because it matches the music better, or are you saying that it helps the performers? Oh, it it does both. It it not only um, not only you know shows the audience what we're hearing. But it also um, it also does that you know it, it just gets the performers closer to the audience obviously, and uh, when they're charging towards the audience for some reason it seems louder. Yeah, well they are closer, but you're right it does. Very cool. Yeah, and um, you know, make sure your drumline staging is vertically aligned with whoever is playing in the winds whenever possible. Um, spacing for drumline should be for, for example snare line. Um, I try to keep them at twos. And no, uh, no more, for the most part. And um, uh, drum or for for tenors and basses, no more than threes or fours. And uh, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Make sure you. Yeah. And my final piece of advice to drill writers, especially, is use your clinics, which in in which is the collision warning, the stride warning, and the continuity, especially the continuity one, because that that tells you if you've swapped places with any performers. So tell me how that works. This is something in Pyware. I'm yes, I apologize. This is something from for um, for our our drill nerds in the audience here. Uh, this is uh, this is a collision warning and a stride warning and also a, what they call continuity, which means uh, being able to tell whether or not um, all of the uh, positions in the drill, whether you've swapped any back and forth by accident. And so those those three things will basically save you clients mm. because they tell you they tell you everything that you need to know about whether you've done something wrong and made it made a terrible error in one of the drills. Yeah, which you don't want to do because then somebody's backing up and calling you frantic. So yeah, absolutely. Okay, I love that logistical advice on on drill writing for drillers. Very good. Okay, so what's your third? Yeah. What's your third sort of main point you wanted to make? Well, this is more uh, personal advice, and um, it's just I have two main points here. And this first one is uh, please don't ghostwrite. And uh, and I've I've unfortunately uh, early in my career people. Uh, came to me and, and uh, you know wanted me to do that, and I did, and it's uh, it's not uh, not a not a great uh, not a great thing to do because you know you're essentially not, in my opinion, you're you're not being totally above board with with your with your clients and so forth. So let, let's make um, sure we're defining terms here. So by ghostwriting, you mean someone hires a draw writer, yes. and then rather than that draw writer doing the work, they farm it out to someone else to say, hey, write this drill for me. So the question is, Edward, are they are they telling the client that it's not their own work? I'm assuming by your point here that you're saying that the client doesn't know that someone else has done this work. Yes. Okay, yeah. that's certainly unethical in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it if happens. it's one thing, if you say I have a team that's going to help me write this, and I know that up front, then I can decide whether or not I want that or not. But so then, wow, this happens a lot. I, I've seen it happen quite frequently, yeah. Okay. So that, if you're a band director listening to this or a staff member, you might want to ask that question. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's a fair question to ask. Edward, I don't think you're putting anybody yes. off, but I think you can say like, hey, and I want to make sure you're doing this work and that you're not having anybody else do it or write for you or whatever. Or how does it work for you? And let them tell you. 
Um, yeah, I think that's good advice. Wow. Look forward in your look forward in your contract as well. I have a whole section of my contract that says, I did this. <laughs> okay, interesting. Okay, what's the second point? Um, basically, just make sure you give equal energy to every project that you that you create. And it, it, you do that for, for not only because it's a service to the, to the students, but also because, in my opinion, that gives you the maximum learning opportunity for, you, for yourself. For yourself as, a, as a, to grow as a designer. Tell me more what because you mean about that. Giving, because if you're giving equal energy, then you're you're not going to squander any opportunities. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So, in other words, if you have this client that always wins the state contest and is a big marquee client, and then you have another client that has twenty five kids and only does football games, you're saying let's give them both the same attention and care even though one maybe is high profile and the other is not. Yeah, absolutely. They, they all deserve, you know, equal, uh, equal experiences. So therefore equal energy needs to be expended. Yeah. I love that. And I'll tell you how I deal with that personally, because I know that's can be a trick because sometimes you start a job and you're like, okay, wow, like this is going to be, you know, at grand nationals and blah, blah, blah. But the way I deal with that personally, and this is probably what you're describing is I think about the students like, right, because what, like you just said, what I'm trying to do is give that student in that band. It doesn't matter if they're in a Grand Nationals band or they're in a band that doesn't even compete. You still want that kid to have, like, the best, greatest experience possible. You want to give them every chance for success. That's how I sort of keep myself honest. I'm assuming that's kind of what you're describing. Exactly right, Tim. You know, I, I, I've gotten so much from the marching activity, especially um it uh, it helped form me as who I am as a person. As it helped give me a work ethic, and uh, if I can give just a tiny bit of that back to every kid, that's uh, that, that, that my job is done. You know, the other thing I think about too, I'll just mention this: is I do think about those students and the staff, of course, wanting them to have a great experience. But I also think about the audiences. That's the other way that I sort of keep myself honest. I think is I think okay, there are going to be people sitting at a ball, at a football game or I guess at a band contest watching this. I want to think about them too, because that also keeps me honest because it makes me recognize the number of people I'm impacting. Cause that's actually makes me feel really good about my work. You know, if I think I'm writing a show and not only are 75 kids at that school going to spend this, this fall with it and the staff, but their parents and then everybody that sees it at any ball game or any kind like that's a lot. It starts to become a lot of people that are going to experience this work. So that keeps me intent on setting that band up for success, making it effective, making it interesting. Um, I, the thing, Edward, about this is sometimes drill writers take on so much work that I feel like they get into a point in the season where they're just dialing it in. And I think this is kind yeah. of what we're talking about is how do you keep yourself from just making the buck and sending it off? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, uh, not get, not going through the motions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to that point, my, my addition to this conversation would be take less work so you can do better work because I, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, wow, I don't want to get off on this, but Edward, every year, 
we get to like July, August, and you all these posts on how, oh, I'm not sleeping and I'm I'm overworked and I'm so stressed out and I can hardly make it through the day and oh I can't believe I had to stay up till five AM. And I'm always sitting here thinking, Come on, people, like control your schedule to be an adult, right? Like if you can't if you can't take care of yourself and do the right number of shows, then you Feeling need to very called out here, yeah. I am calling people out. All right. I'm calling people out right here. I am getting old and curmudgeoning everybody. But listen, though, this really bugs the hell out of me. Every like every year people are like running themselves ragged and I'm thinking, okay, you don't you need to grow up yeah. and schedule yourself. And if you can't do fifty bands and you need to do thirty, or if you can't do thirty and you need to do fifteen. You know, like I find drill writing incredibly demanding. So I don't write that many shows because I know the amount of time it takes for me to do the job I can be proud of. So, you know, I have a lot, I have very little symphony, sympathy for the drill writers that are always <laughs> complaining online about how overworked oh. and, and run ragged they are. I'm like, okay, you need to, you know, maybe you need to write less drill and get that job at, you know, somewhere in the off season. You know what I mean? Or, I don't know. It's it's such a humble brag too, because <laughs> like, I, do, I do that. And then I think to myself, well, gosh, poor me, like, Oh, I get to do the thing I love to do. Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So I didn't mean to get off on a rant about that, everybody, but I'm glad I got to put that in because if you're a drill writer and you're listening to this and you are one of those people that's run ragged, then you need to stop and think about your schedule and you need to grow up and manage it. Okay. That's all I'm saying now. Yeah. That's enough. And you know what? I also know that you're trying to make a living and it's hard and you love what you're doing and all that, but still, if you get to the point where you can't manage it and you are a wreck, something's off balance and you need to address it. Okay. Edward, this was good advice. All of these things about logistics, about there were some things, nuts and bolts things about creating a show. There were some nuts and bolts things about getting the information you need before you can write. And then I like these ones about you dealing with yourself personally and making sure that you're keeping yourself honest and doing good work. Thank you. Yeah. Anything you want to say in closing Final advice for anybody that's listened to this. You know, just don't be afraid to put yourselves out there. And um, drill writing is not an easy, uh, it's not an easy uh, mistress. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> I, I don't know how, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of, you're going to get a lot of negative feedback yeah. about your work. And, uh, but you know what, it's, it's really, you know, like we said, you know, getting that experience out to even one student, in my opinion, makes it worth it. Yeah. Everybody's not going to love what you do, but if they know that you're doing it with the right intent and you're really trying hard to do your best work, I think people will usually be a lot kinder and give you a little more grace, um, when things necessarily don't go so perfectly. So that's good advice. I like that very much. Everybody keep doing good work. Um, keep communicating with everybody so that um, there are fewer things that have to be figured out later. Edward, this was fun. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Find other podcasts and webinars about show design and drill writing at marchingartseducation.com, including the courses How to Write Drill, Pyware and Drill Design Basics with Joe Holes, Drill Writer's Masterclass with Bob Buckner, and the course, Winning Design, Guidance from a Master, with Scott Chandler of the Blue Devils. These last two courses are free for members at marchingartseducation.com. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, EMF Drill, found at emfdrill.com. 
This is your host, Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. Find out more about me at beastofthemarchingarts.com. And check out my new paranormally-themed bed and breakfast, The Phantom History House. See pictures, videos, and book your stay at phantomhistoryhouse.com. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach. And with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.